This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, with all the changes in healthcare today and the pressures to see more and more patients, one chronic complaint often heard is that the doctor really doesn't have the time to fully focus on a given patient's healthcare needs. One answer to this modern-day problem comes in the form of one, what might some might call a throwback to an earlier, simpler time in healthcare delivery, and it's called concierge medicine. Here with more on all of this is Dr. Joseph Barry. He's a local Central New York internist and geriatrician. Welcome, Dr. Barry. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Ms. Cohen, for having me. So let's start with understanding. Concierge medicine is the new answer to what's wrong with healthcare today, I guess. Help us understand what we mean when we use the term concierge medicine. I mean, many of us, just to say, think of a concierge when we go to a hotel and they get us baseball tickets or something of that nature. Well, that's a catch-all term. I prefer the phrase personalized medical care because that's what I'm giving. In exchange for an increased charge, I'm giving people better access and more time. The whole concept of concierge medicine came about because of two different dissatisfactions, physician dissatisfaction and patient dissatisfaction. Let me speak for a second about the physician dissatisfaction. You've got doctors burning out at record rates, according to JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. Uh, the overhead's going up, expenses are going up, there's more pre-authorizations, there's more insurance hassles. So doctors are hassled left and right and are really under siege from different variety of issues. Combine that with the fact that patients are going to the doctor's office and they're not very satisfied with their visits. They're seeing the doctor for less amount of time, the doctor's got his head in the computer half the time, the interaction is limited, information exchange is limited, uh, people are unhappy with that kind of care. It's more like a treadmill than a real doctor-patient interaction. And the doctors nowadays are focusing really on the problems in front of them. They're focusing on the illness, and they're not focusing on the wellness. And concierge medicine, personal care medicine, gives us a chance to go beyond that. Okay, we'll talk about your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your cancer risks, your heart attack risks. That's fine. But let's see where you are on the health spectrum and where you want to be. Most of us could do better with our health. And with the proper guidance from a doctor that cares and is available, I think that we could improve our health in a continuous journey. What are the, some of the factors you think? You've alluded to the, the factors underlying the need for concierge medicine on both the patient and the doctor's side, but what factors contributed to this dissatisfaction? I mean, in the broader picture of healthcare today, I mean, obviously there's been an effort to. Um, basically ensure more people so that they can receive adequate health care. But there are other pressures in terms of quality measures, this movement, trying to bend the cost curve. Say a few things about that. What do you think, you know, from your perspective? Well, I think it's obviously very complicated, but I think doctors' practices have been and continue to be driven by response, responding to the insurance companies, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, etc. So whether it's government or private, the insurance companies reign supreme. I'm afraid that's true. We have no leverage. They determine the guidelines. They determine the payment options. And doctors, frustrated with this, really, in order to maintain their income, only have one option. Work longer, work harder, see more patients. Hence their dissatisfaction. And I would think as well that a lot of, I've heard from a lot of doctors, they also feel frustrated that they cannot perhaps take the kind of care of individualized patients, individual patients, that perhaps they were able to at one point because of all these pressures. So apart from even the burnout with all of the overhead and all of the hoops to jump through, 
if they went into it for noble reasons, they may be frustrated from that standpoint as well. I haven't talked to a physician who does traditional medicine that isn't frustrated, and that includes nurse practitioners and PAs as well. The pressures on performance are at an all-time high. There's no end in sight to the possible malpractice issues, and the practice of medicine on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis is getting harder. Do you think that electronic medical record, the introduction of that, as an opportunity to attempt to bend the cost curve, at least that's how it was touted, do you think that's helped or hurt the whole situation? The way we've rolled out electronic medical records has been a bad thing. The records don't communicate, and they're full of garbage. And I continue to rail against um, the EMRs, large and small, because so much of the information generated is boilerplate, template, nonsense. And the real information about the patients is lost in there. Insurance companies want it to be boilerplate and template so they can work on the billing and have it all homogenized. But and perhaps the, even limit the amount of care being given as a result. Well, at least, if not the care, uh, also the reimbursement. But there's no more character to the record. There's no more honesty in the record. There's no more personality in the record. And I know people that say there's no role for that in the record. But how can you express what happens between a patient and a doctor on a sustained and meaningful basis on a long-term thing without having some important personal information in the chart? And I get notes from the hospitals, 10-page EMR-generated things about a hospital visit, and I can't find what happened to the patient. I can't find what medicines they're on. I can't find what tests are done. But I can find that they were warned about child abuse and the Zika virus and the wearing seatbelts. I want to know what happened, what they're expecting me to do, and I want a, a summary from the doctor, not from an EMR. Do you think that, um, so let's get to what happens. So, so obviously there, there's been a great push for this but there's also been some resistance within the medical world. Tell us a little, let's get to the heart of what is concierge medicine. Well, what is the contract that you set up with, it, with individual patients? Concierge medicine says that uh, in exchange for an increased fee over and above insurance, it has nothing to do with insurance. You're writing me a separate check. In exchange for that check, you're getting access. You have my phone number. You have my email. You're going to be seen that day or the next day. You're going to be... You're not going to wait an hour in the waiting room and an hour in the office. You're going to be seen in a quick, timely fashion. Uh, How about the amount of time that you actually do spend then with the patient? I don't have a visit that's less than a half hour. And if a person is in for a quick blood pressure check or a uh, weight check, that's a quick five-minute visit. But if a person comes in for a follow-up of their blood pressure, their diabetes, their cholesterol, if they have a question about the top 10 causes of death, the top causes of cancer. Uh, those kind of visits take at least a half hour. My physical exams take an hour and a half. So so they pay you a, f- a set fee, and then they have this lengthy or, or a more generous um, opportunity with you. They have access to you pretty much, we won't say 24-7, but a, a greater access to you. And then are you required in that, in that arrangement to then limit the number of covered lives, number of patients that you are responsible for? I don't have a set number that I have to stay below. I know there are certain consulier's doctors that will see up to 600 people, but I could never see that many and give them the kind of care that I want. So I currently have a little bit over 200 patients, and I'm aiming for 300. And it's a completely artificial number. The company said this is the usual number, and I said, well, then I'm going to get to 300. So when you say the company, I want to get to that point, too. So when when you made this decision, 
to make the switch? Because for many, many, many years, you've been doing traditional medicine and primary care, geriatrics, I mean, things that are very labor-intensive, time-intensive. You made the decision to make the change. How did you go about it? Well, you know, I love being a doctor. I love serving people. And I love do what I'm doing, which is primary care. And I've been doing it for so long that the day-to-day -day work is not challenging to me. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to diagnose people's medical problems but and, and take care of them on an ongoing basis. I love that, and I relish it. On the other hand, I've been there, and I've done that. So what's a doctor to do if he's had a successful career? I could go teach. I could try and work with hospice. I could uh, become a hospitalist. I could uh, do something else. Uh, but I said, I want to keep doing this, but I want to do it with a different flavor. I need a new challenge. And a company came to us a couple years ago and said, would you think about concierge medicine? And I said, me? In Camillus? I, I don't think that's a good fit. I, I, I like the idea, but I wasn't ready for it at the time, and the model wasn't right. And then last year, a company came to me, Signature MD, and they said, we can offer you a hybrid model where if people that don't want to sign up and pay extra don't get thrown to the wind, you can still follow them, but you follow them with the nurse practitioner. So when they said that, I felt like Greg Luganus on the high board. <laughs> I said, I'm going to do a one-and-a-half gainer. And I stood at the end of that board for a long time. And luckily, I've got a loving wife that said, you go, girl. Do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so I said, okay. I dropped the bomb and said to my patients, I want to do something different. I want to do better. I can do better. I can offer a higher quality. It's so shocking to me that people think about healthcare and that it should be one size fits all. Uh, and say, well, if you're charging extra, that's not right. That's not American. And I say, well, number one, there's already many different levels of health care. You've got Medicaid. You've got Medicare. You've got the private insurances. Those are all different expenses. And number two, it's the utmost thing about being an American. You can wear a Timex or a Rolex. You can drive a Ford or you can drive a Cadillac. I don't have a Rolex. I don't own a Cadillac, but I want to give Cadillac service. I want my office to be like Wegmans. I don't want any line at the checkout. I want people to come in and go, wow, this is nice. I can't believe I have the attention and the time with the doctor. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with Dr. Joseph Berry, and we're talking about concierge medicine. So from your perspective, clearly there are benefits. Just outline for me what you see as first the benefits for the patient and then again for you as the physician. Well, the benefits for the patient are that I have the time to work with them and work on them. Most of us could do better with our health in terms of blood pressure, cholesterol, and the basics, and most important, my mantra, diet and exercise, exercise and diet. You go to the doctor with diabetes, and he says, okay, are you taking your meds? How is your number? Okay, how's your blood pressure? And if you're lucky, you get a sheet of paper that gives you some numbers when you leave, if you're lucky. And that's just not sufficient. You've got to be focusing on why are you still a diabetic? What more can we do with your diet and exercise? Not as some one-second cast-off, like you type in the note, we discuss diet and exercise, but really getting down and asking, what did you have for dinner last night? What are you doing to move your body through time and space? What do you consider exercise? Now, a lot of people really aren't interested in their health until something goes wrong. They're not interested in concierge medicine. But concierge medicine is for people that say, yes, I have issues, I have active problems, and I'm not getting the attention I deserve or I need for this problem, so I'm looking for a doctor that can give me the time to focus on the illness and then the wellness. How does Obamacare factor into all of this? It doesn't really, because I think Obamacare has been a huge problem in America. I think people really don't have as much coverage as they like. They can't afford it. The deductibles are super high. But it really hasn't been a big impact on my practice because we don't see a lot of people that have Obama insurance because it's so limiting. 
So do you think that, that it's pay, played a role, though, as I said, in creating the atmosphere that where doctors might be then moved to turn to this alternative? Well, when I first talked about doing council years medicine, the company said to me, go ahead and mention Obamacare because that scares people. And people that are scared, you know, are ready to make a change and will go on to the program. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't need to scare people to join up. And people say, well, come and sell me on the program. And I said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not a salesman. What I'm offering you is something different, something better. And if you're interested, come in, we'll talk. And if you're not, see my nurse practitioner, see someone else. But it's, it's a better way of doing medicine. It's a little bit more expensive. I mean, my, it's not like uh, people think, well, it's only for rich people. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. I have a lot of people that you'd be surprised at their median income. And they say, I value the doctor relationship. I see the purpose and the value in having a long-term relationship and having a person that really is focused on me, that can do research for me, will follow me in that most dangerous, dangerous place in America, which is the hospital. In modern America, you go to the hospital today, you're meeting people you don't know, they don't know you, you're at your worst in terms of your health, and where's your doctor? So and, you go to the hospital and, to visit your patients. I did for many, many years. Right, and I, and I know from my own life experience that other internal medicine people and primary care doctors have done that all their lives. And then the hospitalists came, and that changed everything. It was better for the uh, hospital. It was better for the doctor. I didn't have to go in the hospital at 2 in the morning to try and work the next day. Not better for the patient, however. Exactly correct. Not better for the patient. And by now saying to people, when you get sick, I'll be there for you. Number one, I'm gonna, I have the time now to call the doctors in the emergency room or call the doctors in the hospital and say, what's happening, Mrs. Jones? And then I go and check on them. And that's been received variably by the hospital. Some are very happy to have me there, and others are, why are you here? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. You know, you're not in charge. And so that's been an interesting roller coaster. But when people realize, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not trying to countermand you're your orders. You're advocating for I'm your advocating patient. for my patient. I know this lady, and I know that she coughed the first day she came in when you gave her some food, but now you've not had her let her eat for four days. She's 85 years old. She weighs 85 pounds. If you don't let me put some food in her, She's never going to clear up the pneumonia, the heart failure, etc. And the hospitals are focused a little differently. So I think people need an advocate. And I tell them, if you're not going to have a council years doctor, you have a family member in that hospital asking, what is every pill? What is every test? Who's the doctor today? And it changes all the time. So I think it's a dangerous place where you should have an advocate. And that's what concierge allows. That's very, very good advice. I mean, and obviously, as a concierge physician, you're doing that. Let me get down to a little bit more nitty-gritty. So how does... How does it work with insurance? So in other words, insurance companies will cover an annual physical or, or all of the tests that go along with it. What happens to the, the blood work, for example, that someone gets needs to have perhaps on an annual basis or any specialized testing that goes on? Because I want to make sure that my concierge practice doesn't violate any of my contracts with the insurance companies, I continue to take insurance and handle it exactly the same way for every patient I see, whether they're concierge or not. So you're still going to pay uh, the fee for the EKG and the blood work and the mammograms and the doctor visits. So when you come to see me, there's an office charge every time. So there is a copay. In other words, you, you function the same way. You pay your insurance copay. Everything else about the insurance is exactly the same. The copays, the deductibles. But in the end, or at the beginning of the year, you're writing me a separate check above and beyond insurance to get that better upgraded care. It's very much, if I had an option when I signed up my insurance, and I pay $18,000 a year for my family insurance, and when someone said at the time of insurance, check this box, and for 10% of that total cost, I can get Cadillac service, I'm checking it. 
But because I have to try and sell people on this program separate from insurance, oh, I don't know if I can. Listen, I'm the cost of a Starbucks a day. And for a Starbucks a day to know you've got your doctor, you're on vacation in Florida, you've got a question, what are you going to do? And I think the insurance companies have been less scared of what we're doing because they see that I'm keeping people out of the emergency room. I, every day I have someone who calls up and says, I'm dizzy, I'm having chest pain, I have stomach upset. I know what the average doctor does because I have a split practice. My doctors and nurse practitioners upstairs will say, go to the emergency room, go to the emergency room. What I say is, I know you. Come on down. I've got on the schedule. <laughs> Come on in. Let's, let's figure out this. Now, you may have to go to the hospital afterwards, but more than half the time, they don't have to go to the hospital. And I can manage them the next day in the office because I've got room in the schedule, and I can keep them out of the hospital and out of the ER. And that's a big savings to the insurance company. How about, the again, from the patient's standpoint, do they find do they find out results more quickly? Are you able to diagnose things more quickly? I mean, are there other very concrete benefits that go along with this kind of unique relationship? Well, since I've been in practice, everyone who gets a blood test gets a letter about their results, and that hasn't changed. I've always given a Cadillac care, and now I can get reimbursed for it. I think that's a very important thing to underscore here, though. It sounds to me like for how many years have you been in practice total? 29. Okay. So for most of those 29 years, you were doing what sounds like a similar kind of care, but perhaps not getting that, maybe having to do it double time as it got more and more intense to see more people, and you weren't getting reimbursed adequately for that kind of effort. Well, you know, you call the lawyer's office, and you're going to get charged every time you pick up the phone. We don't have that in medicine, but uh, this is our way to, for me to say I can do better, and I can, in order to do better, I've got to charge a little bit more, but I'm still much cheaper than having your will done. So, so in a sense, what you're doing is you're really get, getting paid for the cognitive effort and the care. And then you were talking a little bit about wellness. Tell us a little bit more about what are the kinds of things you do to help promote wellness in patients. Because what you're describing is obviously in great need, especially with the, the you know, epidemic of, of diabetes in this country and all the people struggling with, you know, obesity and all of that. Um, but how, how does how do you kind of impact that well, as I think, a physician? Uh, for me, it's very important at the visit to, do, to find out what's keeping the person from enjoying a better quality of life, what's holding them back. And as I say to them, it's not the meat sack. You know, it's not your body. Your body will do whatever your brain does. So it's more about mindful interviewing and saying, you know, why aren't you exercising more? What's, you know, who or what is holding you back? And if people say to me, well, I weigh 200 pounds, I want to weigh 130, and I'll say to them, well, why aren't you 130 then if that's what you really want? And if they answer and say something like, well, I'm too busy at work, or my wife is in my way, or I have trouble with my family, uh, or if they say I can't afford it, or I don't have the time, then I realize the real issue isn't any of those things. It's their motivation. And then we try and work on that. And I think that working on what motivates people is really the secret to change. And we can't, the, the old tradition, well, you should quit smoking. You know you should lose some weight. People close up when they hear that. But when you say to them, how did you feel the last time when your weight was good? What did you think about that? And how, how has that changed now that you're 220 pounds? 
have you thought about getting back to the lower weight? What kind of things would make success would make it successful for you? What works in your mind? And we have a whole basket of things that I could never offer people in my regular practice with hypnosis, a device called the Alpha Stim, which helps with insomnia, depression, and anxiety, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, yoga, which I'm a super fan of. I think it's good for the mind and the body. And you don't have time for that in the regular medical office. You mean you don't actually offer them yoga in your practice, but you, you spend time talking about it orienting them to it and perhaps giving them referrals? Every patient that joins my practice gets coupons for yoga. Mm. And they go down the street, and there's a couple of ladies down the street. This year, this is my second year in practice. I've just started doing the second year. I'm going to offer yoga at least once a week in a, in in an office setting, not in my office, but very nearby. So let's say it'll be Thursday at 7 o'clock. Anyone wants to come and do yoga, uh, there you go. It's going to be completely free. There's no additional charge. I think that the socializing, like we talked about, the mind game is the most important thing in health. And as people get older, they end up um, socializing less. They end up being less stimulated. And I think in order to do that, in order to help them, part of my thing is to get them out of the house and meeting other people. We've had a paint night. We've been to the crunch games. We've been to the ballpark. And We're, this is open to all of your patients? My concierge patients. That's what yeah. I mean. Yes. But, I mean, if I have 200 people, maybe only 10 or 20 want to go to Highland Forest and take a sleigh ride. Uh, I had 16 during the Stormageddon that came to show for, for paint night. I've offered Tai Chi classes. I don't teach the Tai Chi, but I said, <laughs> here's the instructors. Go, get a receipt. I'll reimburse you. Try something new. Try something different. Get out of the house. I have a little walking group. We do When the weather's good, when the snow's not on the ground, we go every other Tuesday. This year, I think I'm going to go every week. And you mix it up. You see new people. You talk to people. It gets you out of the house. It gets you, um, you know, some fresh air because I think that fresh air uh, and moving through time and space, walking, is the most important thing you can do for your health. Was it difficult for you to say goodbye to or um, basically discontinue your relationship with some of these patients? You said you started with roughly 3,000. Now you're down to roughly 250 to 300 as a goal. You know, how did that affect you personally? Well, I obviously, 95% of people aren't going to be interested in this for whatever reasons. They just don't value their health until they lose their health, and then everyone values it. But well, Maybe I did, they're afraid of the cost. Well, again, I'm, I'm cheaper than a cell phone for a month. I'm cheaper than your Can cable bill. Can you give bill. us a range of where yeah, you charge? Sure. Concierge medicine in America is the low ball is 1500 for a year, and the high ball is... is for most people, about five thousand. Massachusetts General is starting a little program, and they're charging five or six thousand. My father, a doctor who retired and subsequently passed away in Syracuse, but when he was in Florida, he spent five grand on the concierge doctor. I'm eighteen hundred dollars cheaper if you pay up front. So that's not a huge cost compared to having a break job done. And how about the loss of the patients with whom you, you had long-term relationships? Well, that's the beauty of my type of practice, and that is because I have a hybrid practice. I have in my own office downstairs at Signature MD, it's myself. And you're going to see me every time. You're not going to see the nurse practitioner. I've got a dedicated nurse and uh, front desk staff. But you're going to get phone calls from me. You're going to get uh, letters from me. You're going to see me. It's the same person every time, which is not the case in, in traditional medicine all of the time. But upstairs, with my traditional practice, Preventive Medicine Associates, where I have three other doctors I work with and four nurse practitioners, I have one nurse practitioner, Zoriana, that I work with 
four of my other patients that said, I like Dr. Berry, I want to stay under his umbrella, but I can't afford or I'm not interested in paying extra. So those people see my nurse practitioner who's Oriana, and if and when they need me, or if I feel it's appropriate, I stop up and see them. And I do a couple of people every day. I'll look at her schedule, I'll look at my schedule. Oh, there's Mr. Jones, I've got to stop up and check. You know, he was having some trouble last time with alcohol. I want to make sure that we make the right move on him. Not interrogating him, but talking to him about what's important and looking at the long-term view and trying to trying to get into his head that maybe change is okay and that change is important. So, so I you, have a hybrid practice. Yeah, so that's, not, that's quite unique, though. Or is that more common these days to be able to do both in a sense? There aren't enough counselors, doctors in Syracuse for me to say. Well, in Syracuse, but I mean, do you have a sense? No, I would say that most people don't have a hybrid practice. Most people have a uh, practice where they just take a certain number of people and give them the care. I didn't want to say goodbye to all those people. I couldn't say goodbye to all those people. That's why I asked you that question. And I, I, I'm a people person, but I'm not. But I'm not there all the time. I'm not giving them a half hour of my time at the physical, or whether I do the new physicals now, or an hour and a half. I'm not going over the top ten causes of death with them. I'm not going over the top ten causes of cancer. I'm not going giving them page after page of what they can do to try and improve their health. Do you have a concern, or I'll just maybe I'll just kind of play devil's advocate here, or just is that with the growing need for there to be kind of universal coverage, or as our country tries to move toward, you know, this idea of it's, it's a right to have health care coverage or health care delivery, um, do you see this as potentially, or could one of the criticisms be that this is kind of elitist type of medicine? It's it's basically carving out only for those who can afford it versus kind of the, you know, the, the, the masses who basically are going to get less and less and less of that kind of care. Well, uh, I, I see the future of medicine in a very dim and dark view. I think it's going to be more and more clinics. You're going to have more and more doctors being driven out of practice. I would buy the elitist argument if I was $25,000 a year. But uh, for 1800 bucks less if you pay in advance. That's not a big financial burden. But I, Walmart has said they want to be the number one healthcare provider in the nation. They're going to have every Walmart stock with a nurse practitioner. They'll be doing shots. That's coming. It's, it's already happening in certain states. You go to the specialist, and who are you seeing? The nurse practitioner. There's nothing particularly wrong about that, but that's, that's clinic medicine. It's kind of like me standing at the door going, number 43, Number 43, okay, number 44, I don't want to run that kind of clinic. So when these people came to me and said, medicine is being homogenized and commercialized, or you have a chance of stepping back and saying, I can do better. I can offer better. You know, I want to be the Wegmans of medical care. I want to be people going in and saying, wow, this is a nice place to get care. I don't feel afraid to go to the doctor. I don't feel... Uh, intimidated. I know the doctor is going to talk to me about my problems. He's going to give me information. I'm going to leave with information about how to get better. So in the very little bit of time we have left, do you see this as a future, basically a movement that will take hold in this country? I look back and can't figure out why I signed up because it, it took a, a leap of faith, but it's going to become more and more popular. This is the future of excellence in medicine. Especially primary care, I would think. Dr. Barry, thank you so much. My guest has been Dr. Joseph Barry. He is a Central New York internist and geriatrician, and he is exploring the world and satisfactorily exploring the world of concierge medicine. Thanks so much for coming in. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.